Mark uh, chapter 8. I'm going to be in verse 11 to 21 today. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, we've got Bibles to hand out to you. Yeah, there you go. Keep them high. And we're going to pass these out. We'd love for you to keep this. If you don't own a Bible, it's our free gift to you. Please keep this one. Read it. If you've got a friend that wants one and, and you don't have another one to give them, take one now and, uh, and give it to them. So turn to Mark chapter 8. And let me give you a little recap on last week. So that's really going to launch us into today. So what we did last week is we saw Jesus this time doing more and more miracles, but now he's doing it amongst the Gentiles. And so we'd seen two massive feedings. Okay? We saw a feeding of 5,000, we saw a feeding of 4,000. When Jesus did the 5,000, he did it with the Jews. When he did it with the 4,000, he did it with the Gentiles. When he did it with the Jews, with the 5,000, the, uh, the disciples had no idea what was going on. And so they began to ask, well, how are we going to feed these people? How are we going to feed 5,000 people with only limited food? Okay? Now, last week... Jesus has almost the identical miracle, and he calls on the apostles again to say, hey, here's the problem. There's 4,000 people. They need food. What are we going to do? And then you would think that maybe they would have understood, hey, we just saw Jesus do this last time. We saw him take this food and multiply it, so maybe, just maybe, he'll do it again this time. And so Jesus gave them the, pres- the prescription for what it meant to follow him in this miracle, to be part of his mission, and then they failed, So we see them last week, again, just kind of do the typical disciple thing, and they forget what God has done, they don't employ what they've learned, and then they find themselves wanting once again before Christ. Christ does the miracle, people get fed, and it's all good. And so literally, we kind of came off of last week with this conviction of, okay, we've all seen God do some things in our life. We've all seen him express himself in certain ways. We've all read, some of us, and you know what, maybe some of you, you're not here, you're not a Christian, you don't get any of these stories, but a lot of us know the stories of the Bible, we know what Jesus has done for us, and yet we're still timid about pushing into the things that he's presented for us. And so what's amazing about today, and what I appreciate about today, is we get a very clear picture of how Jesus cares for us in the midst of our own disobedience. We, we really get to step into, okay, well, you know, I keep letting God down. I, I, I keep not doing what I know he's called me to do. I know what I've seen him do. I don't do it. And then, man, maybe he is disappointed in me. Uh, like, maybe because I keep dropping the ball, because I'm not dedicated enough, because I don't share my faith enough, because I don't do enough of the things that the Bible talks about, maybe, maybe he's kind of upset. Maybe he's frustrated. Maybe he's ready to turn a different direction. Maybe he's at a distance from me. Maybe that's why I experienced the gap between him and I right now. And I think what we'll learn today is it's not true. Okay. And we're going to learn this through the reality of Jesus contrasting, juxtaposing the Pharisees and the disciples. These two people groups that are around at this time. And Jesus is going to show us the differences, not necessarily in who they are, because if we're honest with ourselves, we're just as sinful, just as bad, just as unrighteous as the Pharisees. The difference is is Jesus. The only difference between a Pharisee and a disciple is Jesus. Amen? Like, we, we, we all trend towards the same things. We try and earn our salvation. We try and prove ourselves to other people. We're clamoring for power. We love status. These are all pharisaical things, and we love them. The only difference between the Pharisee and the disciple is Jesus and the way he treats them. The way that he confronts them and his long-term vision for where they're headed. And that's our hope for today, is that we would learn that. Okay, so... Excuse me. Um, 
the question needs to be, who are these guys? Right? Who are the Pharisees? And that's what we'll start on the text. Who are these guys? We talked about this a few weeks ago. But the Pharisees showed up about 200 years before Jesus. So there's this 400 year or so period, we call the intertestamental period, where there were no more prophets from the Old Testament all the way up into the advent of Christ. And so for 400 years, there's nothing. And so what happens is, is people of God, men of God, stand up and say, we will be the mouthpiece of God for the people. We're going to take the Old Testament, the Torah, the teachings, we're going to take all this, and we're going to interpret it for the people so that we can continue to follow them. So everything starts out with very good motive. These Pharisees start out with a good motive to say, man, we just want to help the people. At the time, there were two major kind of competing sects. So you had, you had the, uh, the Pharisees, which we're talking about today, and we had the Sadducees, which they more related with the old and the, uh, the rich elite. And then you had the Pharisees, which were the people's people. right? They were the represent. I mean, people loved these guys early on. But by the time we get to Jesus, stuff has changed. By the time, so in a 200-year period from when this thing gets off the ground to when we read it in the book of Mark, something has changed about the Pharisees. And now they're power-hungry, okay? They seem to lord their authority over people. They seem to distort Scripture if it gives them the benefit of their lives. And so you get these little twists in there, and, and, and honestly, I think we see that in ourselves, that we can, we can kind of twist things, we can do things to better ourselves. And, and here's, here's my fear, is that we, hopefully, as Christians who want to follow Jesus, who want to be faithful witnesses of the gospel, that we too, as this goes down the road, would begin to trend towards the same things we see that the, the Pharisees fall into. That if, if we're not careful we will find ourselves in direct opposition of Christ. Not just, not just rejection of the things he might have for you, that you will actually oppose him should you not walk in these things. And this is what we'll learn today. So verse 11, let's get going. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. And so here you have the Pharisees, and they come before him like, listen up, Jesus, here's what we want. You want us to believe you? We need a sign from heaven. Now, this is not just another miracle. Jesus has done plenty of those. In fact, Mark uses a different word for sign here than he always uses when he refers to miracle in the New Testament. And so he was saying, no, no, they're not asking for you to heal somebody. We don't need you to raise another person from the dead. We, don't want you. we need a sign. We need something different. We need something that is undeniable, complete proof. You are God. You are the Messiah. You are who you claim to be. And so I don't know what this would look like for them. I don't know what was in their mind with what God would have had to do in order to specifically say and give proof to, yeah, Jesus, he's the guy, he's the Messiah. You should follow him. Now, here's what's baffling to me. It would seem to me that Jesus, whilst on this mission to change the world, redeem all things, that he would just give them a sign. Like, it would make sense to me for him to say, all right, if that's all you need, let me talk to my dad about it, and then he's going to come and do something, and then all will know that this guy that has showed up is truly the Messiah and Savior of the world. But it's not what he does. 
That's not what he says. He says, truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And it's because he knows the hearts of the Pharisee. He knows who they are. You see, when Mark uses this word test to come test them, that word is used multiple times throughout the New Testament in his gospel, but every time it's in a negative connotation. This is not a test to say, hey, I just want to see how good... It's, it's a test to say, I want to catch you and trick you and tear you down by the way you answer this test. We find it four other times in the gospel of Mark. Three times it's by the Pharisees. One time it's by Satan. Three times by the Pharisees and one time by Satan. Not, not your best association if you're, if you're a Pharisee, okay? Here's what I find very interesting about this. You guys all remember the cartoons where if a guy's trying to make a certain decision and up on this shoulder pops up a, a little mini devil. Remember that? And he's usually dressed really cool. He's got like a spike piercing or something. And then on this side is what? An angel, right? Is an angel. And honestly, I remember even as a kid watching some of these cartoons and watching these things and thinking to myself, like, gosh, it seems like the angel even is just always trying to get him to not not just make the right decision, but to do so so that that person would be better. Like, there, there was this, almost this piety and this righteousness to the angel. And if you look back at these things, he's constantly, this guy gets in this decision, and it's, you've got the devil, and you've got the angel, and the devil's saying, you know, do this, and then the angel's saying, do that. And here's the thing, I think if we really look at it, both of those things are not good advice. The devil certainly, because, right, he's just telling you to sin, telling you to make bad decisions, go towards unrighteousness. And we get that one. I think that is the overt sin in this world that we know to avoid. Now, we don't do it super well, right? But we know, okay, yeah, I probably shouldn't choose this. And so, one of the things that can destroy a walk with God, one of the things that can destroy our desire to continue to follow Him is sin. Right? It's the little whispers from unrighteousness in our flesh. But I think what's interesting is that the Pharisees are the only other people to try and test Jesus. And I find that the other, more secret, hidden thing that we fall into that distracts us from following Christ is our own righteousness. It's our own piety. It's our own, okay, well, I just want to, I'll just do everything the angel says to do because if I do that, God's going to love me more. And that is not what the gospel shares for us. It's not what's communicated. So the two people to share us, the two cultural idols, I think, of the church and of America and that destroys our relationship with God is going to be sin and is going to be a righteousness that's achieved by yourself. And sin we get, a righteousness achieved by ourselves, I think is a bit more hidden we need to watch out for. Okay? So Jesus says no to this. He's frustrated. He says, man, well, you know, what more do you need? You guys are Jews. Like throughout the Old Testament, all I've done is prove myself to you. Like every time there was a problem, who rescued you? Every time there was an issue, who came in and took care of it? It was always me every time. And yet still to this day, you ask me if I am who I say I am. Okay. Now here's what's pretty interesting. Is this is a huge juxtaposition to what we talked about last week. Because last week Jesus is doing work amongst the Gentiles. This week he's back with his, before these, these Jewish brothers. And what we found is that the gospel has gone past the Jews and has been brought to the Gentiles. And we see the Gentiles running to it with fervor. And we see many of the Jews rejecting it as much as they can. 
And this is all Old Testament, this is all prophecy, this is all stuff that God knew was going to happen. But this is the reality of the context of where he's at right now. And so I ask us right now, what more do we need? So if you're here today and you love Jesus, what more do you need him to do in your life? What more do you need him to prove about what he's already done that you would live a life completely devoted to him? I mean, I mean, and I'm asking, I, I don't want you to say anything, but I want you to truly just think through that question for a moment. What are you waiting for Jesus to do in your life, or what are you waiting for Jesus to do in the world that he hasn't done already, that would finally say, okay, you know what, I know, I know the sin that, that I can easily trend towards, What's stopping me from getting rid of that? What about the self-righteousness piece? What's, what's this things, what are the things that are stopping me from getting rid of that as well? What do you need Jesus to do? I began to think about that question for myself all week. Like, what, am I, what am I waiting for? You know, there's, there's often this, this culture in church, right, that, that because I'm up here, like I've kind of got the Christianity thing dialed in, and, and I try and tell you guys every week that I don't, and I have just about as little clue as you do. What are we waiting for? What more does Jesus need to accomplish that Christian you would set your life down and follow him in everything? And then I say this to you if you're here and you're not a Christian. Like, what more does he need to do to prove to you that he's your Savior? What, what more does Jesus need to do to prove to you that he loves you? What more does he need to do for you to become his child? Like, what, what, are, you, what are these things that we're waiting for? What were, what were the Pharisees waiting for? What was the problem that they were dealing with? See, this is where we're going to find the biggest contrast between the Pharisee and the disciple. Is the Pharisee would still have answers. The Pharisee will say, well, still prove this to me and we'll have specific things. The disciple will say, you've done enough. Okay. The disciple wouldn't find excuses. The disciple will say, you've done enough. And do his best, do her best to live it out. Because the truth about proof is when there is proof, there is not faith. And the Bible is big on faith, guys. The Bible is huge on faith. Faith, faith, faith when brought proof, right? When you have proof for something, faith need leave the door. It's, not, it's no longer faith. It's proven. But faith is what we're called to. And so, Christian, if you're here, it's, listen, what more need be done? The answer is nothing. Nothing need more be done. He's done it all. In Matthew, you see this same text where these guys, they desire a sign as well. But he answers this. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given. He says, Except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so what he's saying in Matthew, okay, 
what's being given in the same story. It's like, you want a sign? You want a sign? I'm not going to give you anything else, but here's going to be the marker for all history to know this guy's for real. This guy is Jesus. This guy is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one the entire Bible speaks of. Is that he's going to die. And then he's going to be dead for three days. And he's going to raise from the dead. There need not be anything else for the person today on the other side of the resurrection than the resurrection. What are we waiting for? Okay, what... What are we waiting Jesus, this guy that we did, that did amazing things, that we love, that did spectacular things, he rose from the dead by himself. What more proof do you need that he is to be Lord of your life? What more proof do you need to begin to leave behind this junk on both sides of the shoulder that the devil and the angel want you to do? Okay. What more do we need? I don't know. There's a lot of questions, I think. Let's keep going. Verse 14. Now they've forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And so now the story moves on past the Pharisees, gets to the disciples, and now they're... Excuse me, they're in a boat again, and they're talking, and, and here's, here's the issue. There's, there's no bread. There, there's very little bread. And, and, and Jesus is trying to talk about a completely different bread here. But, but the disciples are so focused on themselves, they think they're talking about another physical piece of bread. When Jesus is trying to communicate, no, 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 I'm talking about a bread that is going to destroy you. This leaven of the Pharisees, this leaven of Herod. Okay. And the question has to be, what does... What do the Pharisees and Herod have in common? Like, if we're to look at, okay, if we're supposed to beware what the belief or the leaven of these two people can do to us, what is the common denominator between the Pharisees and Herod? Both of them, listen, Herod was not pious. He was not righteous. He wasn't trying to live that life. So it's not that. The only thing that we see between Herod and the Pharisees is that both of them hated and seek to destroy Jesus. And so this is a peculiar thing that Jesus is doing here. He's again with his disciples, and he begins to tell them, you know what? You know what you need to be careful of, believer? You need to be careful of, Christian? Is that if you allow this to sink in, eventually, yes, you who loves God, you yourself will seek to destroy Christ. Which sounds, which, which just sounds kind of crazy. Uh, like me, like, okay, so I think I love Jesus right now, and if someone told me that, hey, watch out, because just down the road you might be the one persecuting him, it wouldn't make sense, but the truth is, is that's the reality of how sin and self-righteousness will take you over. Where you will begin to disagree with what God's done. You'll begin to forget what he's accomplished, and then all of a sudden, when you were once his, you are now his opposition. That is a scary, scary thing. How quickly this can probably turn for us. And so if anything, I think this passage gives us as a disciple, as a Christian, it gives us a bit of fear of, gosh, I I better continue to remember the stories of God. I better continue to remember the work that He's done in my life. 
I better continue to remember the cross and the resurrection because as you begin to forget these things, all of a sudden this can turn just like that and where you were once his friend, you're now his enemy. Man, this is, this is scary stuff. I was, uh, how many people have been skydiving before? All right, cool, good for you. Um, me too, okay. Uh, so when I was in college, there was this, this girl that I was attracted to, and she wanted to go skydiving, and so, so did I. And um, when in reality, uh, I was terrified. Like, I mean, I'll, just be, I'll put it out there. I mean, I was absolutely terrified. I thought, this just seems like a terrible idea. This is how people die young. You know, I mean, just not a good thing. And so I agreed to go. And remember, we get there around 1 o'clock, and we're supposed to take off right away, go skydiving, go do your thing. And I'm terrified because I think I'm going to die. And we sit there and they keep delaying us over and over and over and saying, well, don't worry, your, your time's coming, your time's coming, you just wait, just wait, just wait. I say, okay. Eventually, they say, if you want to do the sunset skydive, that's going to be at, at 5.30, and that's more expensive, but they allow us to do it for free since they made us wait so long. And so here's what I had. I had four and a half hours to sit, yeah, yeah, to sit there and watch plane after plane take off and person after person land safely, right? I mean, just, they, they float down, and they land safely. Everyone's happy, best experience of their life, okay? And then you would think that in this, somehow, there would be comfort. Like, oh, yeah, okay, it worked for all them. Someone's like, oh, no, you're not going to die, it's a one in a minute. I'm like, I will be the one. Like, there's, it do, so when you say one in a million, like, it does happen. You know what I mean? Like, I need a 0% chance of death here. And so you would think that even just constantly being right confronted over and over and over with the reality of, yeah, I'm probably going to be all right. This is probably true. Skydiving is probably actually safe. I remember watching it over and over and over. And it just, I was still terrified. Because it couldn't be proven to me. It couldn't be proven. There was never a 100% guarantee. So I had to get on the plane in faith that doing this would earn me a date, right? <laughs> and that I wouldn't be dead at the end, okay? And both were true, okay? Um, we broke up with, I broke up with her and married my wife, so that was way better, but uh, put that out there. And, uh, but that's the reality here. I, w- I want us to hone in on if you're looking for something else, it's not there. Everything you need to follow and give your life over to Christ has already been accomplished. Jesus need not do anything else ever to prove to you His love for you. He need not do anything else ever to prove that He's forgiven you. He need not do anything ever to tell you you're part of His family. You don't need to earn it anymore. You can let go of all of this and you can begin to walk in the life that God has called you to. Because he's accomplished great and mighty things. And what was happening to the disciples is that they were forgetting it. They were just forgetting it. They were letting it slip away. And Jesus saw it. He saw it in their doubt. He saw it in their lack of faith. He saw it in their inability to walk in the things that Christ has taught them to do. And so he says, listen, beware. 
beware. Because if you let this stuff continue to sink in, I worry that there's a day then that you will oppose Christ. Okay? That's what, that's what he's saying this to his close. I mean, these are the guys that he chose. The 12 closest, the, the best, the all-stars. I mean, these are the best. And he calls them out and says, you know what, I'm nervous about, about the way this could go. Beware. Beware how 200 years before Christ, a group of people got together and said, we love Jesus and we're going to do our best to proclaim him to the world. And then they let that slip because other things began to get into the way. Right? Power, and money, and status, and on and on and on. Okay. Do not let these things slip in. So here we go, verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to him, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Are your hearts hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. He said to them, Do you not yet understand? So here's the difference between how God handled the Pharisee and how he handles the disciple. To the Pharisee, he says, no sign will be given. That's it. To the disciple, he points them and reminds them of the signs that already have. And so to us today, I think the application is, Christian, look at what Christ has done in your life. I mean, I mean, really think about the, the transformation, the, the little things, the big things, everything, the things he's done in your friend's life, the things he's done in your family's life, the things he's done in this church's life, the things that he's accomplished throughout Scripture, the things that he's accomplished overseas, all of this stuff. What, think, remember, understand, meditate, and then go. You see, Jesus is not upset. He's not mad. He's not disappointed that we fail. Instead, what he does is he encourages them and he encourages us, hey, just keep remembering. The answer to our failure is not try harder. The answer to you not obeying God is not work harder. The answer to you dropping the ball time in and time out, just like me, is not get your junk together. The answer is remember Jesus. Whenever, listen, when you're going and, and you guys are going to leave this place, you're going to go to your life, you're going to do your things, and you're going to be out there and you're going to be constantly confronted with all of these decisions to make. And are you going to walk with Christ? You're going to walk with the world. Which one are you going to do? And I tell you, the, the right answer is that it's not like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. It's remember the gospel. Remember Jesus. Do not forget what he has done in your life and then make your decision. So the next time, the first decision, I mean, I don't care if it's ordering a sandwich, all right? When you guys go to lunch, I want you all to sit down and say, well, Jesus died for my sins, and he rose on the third day, so I should have a cheeseburger, right? That's, that's the honest continuation of that, because he's good, and so are cheeseburgers, right? Think through what has Jesus done. Remember, this, this is the gospel. This is the difference between how a Pharisee handles God and how man or how a disciple tries to by remembering the gospel. Okay. Um, Ultimately, here's the thing. If you let little... Whoa. Um, Everybody okay? 
All right. No glass in the Orpheum. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. If you let this stuff slip in, if you begin to forget the work that he's done for you, we live, I think, honestly, on this kind of spectrum, on this plane. And I think every time we forget what Christ has done, I, th- I think what, he, what Jesus is pointing to is we, we kind of take a step this direction towards opposition. I think every time that we can sit down, though, and remember these faith moments, we can remember the stories of the Bible, I think we take a step this way towards obedience and following Him in everything. And so I just want to implore us to more often than not, when it comes to recollection, when it comes to making decisions, to remember the gospel story so that over your life, and this is you know, 90 years or whatever the life expectancy is now, over this entire period of time, you're going to go like this. Right? You guys, eh? right? You're going you're gonna to kind of dance. Sometimes, hey, this could happen. That's the reality of life. Sometimes this happens. And you're way over here like, ha, I used to be over there. What happened? Sometimes we're over here. The answer right here in this moment, remember the gospel. The answer here is remember the gospel, right? The answer here, remember the gospel. Remember Jesus. Wherever you're at in that, and wherever you fall, man, you could be way over here. It does not matter. God is not mad. He's not disappointed. He doesn't hate you. He loves you and desires you to remember the gospel story that says he came for all to forgive all, to give grace to all, to restore all, and to create himself for a people that would go and continue that message to the world. Amen? So if this is true, what good news for us this morning? Because regardless of where we're at on this whole spectrum, man, the truth of the gospel saves us. And that's how God handles a disciple. That's how God cares for his children. Remember what I've done. Remember me. And then go. Then go and live this life. One of the things, this is a foreshadow. I'll give us two in two weeks. You know, you again you have the Pharisees asking for a sign, it says no sign's gonna be given. But in two weeks, we're gonna get, and I don't know how many are familiar with, with the transfiguration. So in two weeks time, Jesus is gonna give like the greatest sign he possibly could to three guys. I mean he's, he's I mean it's it, God is going, it's gonna be amazing. God, God treats and cares for his family. Okay. So wherever you're at, to try and believe that this morning. Okay. So here's what I want to do. I want us to just sit for a minute. I know we do a little bit of reflection, usually right after I pray. I want to take it right now. Okay, I want to take it right now. Just, just a couple minutes to sit and ask, you know, what, what am I waiting for? And that's for the Christian and the non-Christians, for both of you. What am I waiting for to give my life over? And then, and then two, okay, two, I want you guys to try and remember as best you can, like maybe just one incredible moment of when you've seen God move. And honestly, if it's just remembering the gospel stories of Jesus dying on a cross and raising on the third day, that's fine. But if there's something else, too, I want you guys to think through that. And then I'll come up and pray. And then we're going to move into our time of response. We're going to baptize a friend of ours. And uh, it's going to be a joyous time. So let's take that right now, and I'll come back up.
Okay. I want to share one story that just popped, popped into my head right now for me. Where it just, it just made me think, man, God, you're big. You're powerful. So I, uh, I used to do some work overseas. And I got to meet with this guy. And I asked him how he became a Christian. And actually, I don't know if I've shared this before, but none of you go to this church anyway. So, um, <laughs> And so I taught this guy, I said, how would you become a Christian? And he says, you know, um, I, was, I was searching. This is a Hindu man. We're in India. He's like, I was searching. I said, there just seems something off with the Hindu gods I was told to worship. I just didn't get it. I didn't know if this was right. And so I began asking the question of, well, who am I to worship? Okay, who am I to worship? And so he's asking this question. He leads his family. He goes, and they're like, well, you need to go and have like kind of this pilgrimage moment. Well, he'll go, and he'll find, you know, whoever he's supposed to follow. And so he gets on a bus, okay? And he starts taking this bus north, just up to the mountains, northern India, heading over to Kashmir, okay? And he's on his way, and he's driving, and he's praying. He doesn't know to who. He's just talking, just like, I want to learn this. You know, he's kind of talking out loud. And all of a sudden, the bus pulls over on the side of the road. And this guy's like, well, what's going on? This isn't a stop. He asks the bus driver. He says, hey... Like, why are we stopping here? And the bus driver turns around and he says, you know what, this is your stop. This is where you're supposed to get off. And so the guy's like, what? <laughs> you know, like, I don't think so. You know. And so he, he says, all right, you know, no, when he's on this journey. So he gets off the bus and the bus driver right before he gets off says, hey, see that shack over there? I want you to go over there. And I want you to go get a chai, you know. And this is all in Hindi, so, and, you know. So he's, he says, I want you to go get a chai. I want you to sit down. And that's it. The guy says, okay. So he gets off the bus and he goes over the side of the road and the shack bus driver pulls away. He sits down, he orders his chai, he's sipping, you know, having some milk bickies, which is just like the greatest snack in the world which you probably don't know about. And, uh, and all of a sudden up on the television, there's a movie playing. This movie is the Jesus Film Project, okay? Which is the movie that I was helping work with and making new productions of and stuff. And so he's, he said there was this movie up and it was the Jesus Film Project. And we begin to watch this film and there's this scene where all of a sudden Jesus is in the boat and he's teaching to the people. And this man jumps out of his chair and begins to exclaim, cheering amongst everyone in this little shack, that was my bus driver. That was my bus driver. That man was my bus driver. And he gave his life to the Lord right then. For whatever reason, what God decided to do to lead this man to Christ on his spiritual journey was to make him see a vision of the actor that was in the Jesus film movie be his bus driver, tell him to get off on a stop, go to a shack, drink chai and milk bickies, watch a movie he's never seen before, see a picture of this bus driver, and scream out, that's him. Jesus was my bus driver. And he gave his life to Christ. And he played Jesus as the voice actor in the Jesus film that we recorded with him. I mean, this stuff, guys, this, this stuff is, is, is just God. That's it. It's not even, it's, not, it's, it's spectacular to us, but it's just, this is what he does. Why? Because he's on a mission to redeem the world. Remember these moments. And I don't know how many of y'all have that story, right? You know, the old bus driver, Jesus film, getting saved, Indian story, right? <laughs> we don't all have that, but you've got something. And some of you guys have more than others. It doesn't matter. Remember the things you know. Remember the gospel. 
And as you go and live this life, that will be the thing that will root you and ground you to Him and allow you to always, regardless of where you're at on this spectrum, fully be at peace knowing God is never too far away. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Thank You for the tremendous things You've accomplished in this world. Thank You that we get to study them and read them and They're just baffling to me. God, thank you that there's many stories in this room that are just around the whole place here today. And I think amongst the Christian community and in the non-Christian community, I think there's works that you've done across the world that maybe aren't even ascribed to you at times. We know you hold all things together. You are sovereign. You are good. You are faithful. And so, God, I pray right now that we would all remember We remember what it meant for God to become man, to step into our junk and our mess, to never make a mistake, and along the way, I mean, heal and redeem and restore and forgive and deliver and do all the things that you did in this earth. We remember these stories. God, we remember the cross, we remember the resurrection. God, and if we believe these to be true, God, would that have direct influence and impact, God, on how we live? God, that we wouldn't allow lies, we wouldn't allow any of this stuff to slip in, that we would constantly just try and work our way to be conformed to the image of Christ this whole life. God, we need nothing more. I need nothing more. So I repent and I I confess, God, the times where I ask for more when you've You've done everything you need to do. And even in the midst of that, you continue to do more. God, allow us to be a memorial people. The people who remember, people who meditate, and in light of that, a people that respond. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, So now, as always, we're going to sit, and and just I want you to take another kind of just minute here. Um, And then uh, my boy David's going to go get changed and get ready. And then we're going to come back up and we're going to do a time of response together. So why don't you guys take just a little more time uh, and then we'll come back and do that.